Thanks for downloading this podcast from the University of Portsmouth. In Life Solved, we're asking the big questions about our world, from politics to technology, our bodies and our environments. One of the most remarkable things about the research taking place here is the scope for one area to give us clues in another. Departments take what's called a cross-disciplinary approach to help our academics and scientists connect the dots and find exciting solutions to human problems. Today, John Worsey talks to a man whose obsession with a certain type of cell led to some tantalizing possibilities. Glee had an extremely important, glia stopped doing their jobs, neurons do not work. Right. Professor Arthur Butts' glia research looks set to make a real impact on our understanding of how our brains and nervous systems work, and perhaps even the way we understand some illnesses. So we thought, well, instead of looking at all these individual little avenues, yeah, networks, we thought, well, let's hit this one, see what yeah. happens. So we thought, oh, we'll try with that, just lift the amps off the shelf. Yeah. Everybody knows how it works, let's, let's try it. It had an, an absolutely profound effect on the glia. Right. But not many people have considered the possibility that glia might actually be the, uh, very important and yeah. also drug targets. Arthur has been absorbed by neurophysiology since the 1980s. He actually did a marine biology degree, but became fascinated by the science neurology and diverted down that path instead. And I knew nothing about neurophysiology, and when I read around it, pretty much not many people did know right. much. So I thought, that's the area for me. Yeah. Luckily for us, Arthur turned his attention to research into cells that repair nerve connections in conditions like multiple sclerosis. These days, he builds upon that knowledge and is focused on the glia, a type of cell found in the nervous system. He runs a lab with colleagues at the University of Portsmouth. We call ourselves the glial research group, okay. which is totally unsexy. There we go. Britain is leading, leads this particular area of research, I would say. The, those cells which I mentioned, these repair cells, so I was one of the people who helped discover those. Yeah. So we didn't know those cells even existed. Right. We, we had hints of it, Yeah. but we didn't know how many of them there were in yeah. the brain. Um, and so some of the work I was involved in demonstrated this uh, about uh, how prominent they are in the brain yeah. um, and how they work. So yeah, and now we understand a lot more. So that's basic, that's, that's just fundamental. Before we begin, Arthur took us through a few basics to help understand the science. Brace yourself for a whistle-stop tour of your nervous system. Your brain is made up of cells. Uh, so these are the building blocks. Uh, and the way they work, the mechanics of how they work is called physiology. So if you think of how a car engine works, uh, the mechanics of that is, is uh, equivalent to, for both for thinking, for example, uh, but also it controls our movements and our behavior and emotions uh, and so on. There's the nerve cells, posh named neurons, uh, and the glial cells. The nerve cells are the ones which do all the signaling. So you might be aware that uh, there's electrical signals in your brain. Yeah. And this is actually, so we have ele electrical signals, it's how the nerve cells communicate with each other, and then they'll transmit this electrical signal down your arm, and you can wiggle your finger or, what, yeah. or whatever it is. But for them to be able to do that, they require a lot of support. So they're very, very sensitive cells. Uh, and if you alter their environment in any way, they stop working properly. 
So they, they, they exist in a very kind of gentle, passive kind of environment. Yeah. And that environment is provided by glia. When Arthur began his research, very little was understood about glia cells, which were dismissed as simply connective tissues in the brain. It turned out they were actually much more important. Some of the research that I've been involved in then uh, underpinned some of that of how these cells are actually allowing neurons to work. Most of the people working on neurons, as far as they're concerned, if something goes wrong in the brain, it's because the neuron has gone wrong. Uh, which is true, mm. but what they're neglecting is the fact that the reason the neuron has gone yes. wrong is because the glia aren't working properly. So actually, uh, glia are extremely important. If glia stop doing their jobs, neurons do not work. Well, there, are, there are three kinds of glia. That's an oversimplification, but that's the easiest way to think of it. One of the types is called an astrocyte. So you've got a nerve cell, yep. which is firing away, and then it transmits this signal. Yeah. It's electrical signal. It's essentially coming down a wire. Yeah. And that wire is called an axon, uh, which is a, just a big, long extension of the cell. So the electrical signal's coming down there, and it travels instantly. And the reason it gets it instantly is because of myelin. So myelin is an insulation around the wires in your brain. Right. So one type of glia makes myelin, which is essential in instantaneous transmission of signals. That means if you decided to click your fingers right now, it happens without any delay. The mysteries of the glia seem to be an untapped resource for more information about neurophysiology. For Arthur and his colleagues, this can be frustrating. Although his research isn't directly looking for cures or treatments to medical conditions, he believes the discoveries we're yet to make could be fundamental in doing so. They've been funding Alzheimer's uh, to the tunes of billions yes. for the last 50 years and, and haven't come up with a single treatment. I mean, it, it's kind of shifting, so they are starting to give some money towards it, but it's, it's, it's like a big tank yeah. at sea. It's going to yeah. take a while to, uh, to shift. The potential for connecting glial cells to our body's behaviour under different conditions and diseases is fascinating. Arthur told us what we have already learned so far. He explained this in the context of the myelin insulation that glia make. Without this insulation, they don't conduct quickly. A classic example of this is the disease multiple sclerosis. So multiple sclerosis, which is an area of research I've been involved in for the last 20 odd years, is when that myelin, that insulation is lost yeah. or degenerates, deteriorates. It's not lost everywhere. It's just little pockets. Yes. In the patient, persons with these uh, with MS will end up in wheelchairs. And this is because the signals are not being transmitted. So they can't control how their legs work, how their arms work. They also have cognitive changes. So they start struggling uh, with uh, mood, right. psychiatric changes as well, uh, and also cognitive, so um, thought processes, the speed of thought. And this is all about losing this insulation. And essentially what it means is the electrical signals are not being transmitted properly right. in your brain. What happens is in the, the main type of multiple sclerosis is called re, relapse remitting. Yeah. So, so you have uh, a relapse of the disease. Yeah. Then you recover from it. Yes. As, as called the remittance, and then a relapse and remittance. This goes on for 10, 20, 30 years. 
uh, and it gradually gets worse and worse. And in most patients, it gets worse and worse. Yes. And, and what happens is during the, the relapse, there's something called demyelination. So that's when you lose the insulation. And then during the remittance, there's a, there's a repair process mm -hmm. that goes on. That's called remyelination. And they can keep doing this throughout life pretty good. Yeah. But for reasons we're not 100% sure of, ultimately, this repair starts to fail. Right. Uh, so in multiple sclerosis, the immune system attacks myelin, this insulation in the brain. Yeah. Um, and over the last couple of years, actually, uh, we've started to understand a bit more why this repair is failing. So if we go back about five years, that was an hypothesis. That's what we believed was probably happening. Yeah. And some recent studies, including work in my own lab, has, has now been showing that that's, certainly that is exactly what is happening, that our brain becomes less capable of repairing right. itself. Right. Now, you superimpose that upon a disease like MS, so you're losing myelin, and we are losing the capacity to repair. So it means it just gets worse yes. and worse and worse. So we have this disease process and, and lots of uh, current therapies for multiple sclerosis um, are, are aimed at this immune attack. They'll slow down the immune attack. And these are proven very effective in quite a lot of patients. It's not 100% effective in 100% of patients, but in a, in a significant proportion of patients, it is effective. It's slowing down this relapses. In this kind of research, Arthur and his colleagues are not looking directly for a cure to MS, but instead are seeking understanding as to why cells behave in the way they do and how they respond to different drugs. We're looking to understand why does the demyelination occur and what controls the repair yeah. and how we may stimulate that repair process to stop the degenerative yes. changes. When it comes to repair and ageing, Arthur's work triggered another question for biomedical science. Age is a natural process leading to a slowing in our brains and bodies. In dementia, however, this is accelerated. One of the calls or, or the focuses um, is on ageing research because the population is getting older and older and what we want to be able to do is keep that population healthy. Yeah. In my case, we're looking at ageing brain. So the ageing brain gradually... Uh, declines, yeah. So, and this is, this is what we call cognitive decline. Mm. So basically, we just get less uh, quick. Yeah. This isn't pathology. This is that your brain slows down. The rest of your body has slowed down as well, yeah. but your brain also slows down. Um, and there's lots of different reasons for that. Uh, one one of them is that the the what we call plasticity of the nerve cells. So when we learn a new thing, mm -hmm. we have to make a new connection in our brain. Right. So every time we learn something new, new connections have to be made. And your brain gets less good at making those new connections, gets less plastic. Right. It's because those glial cells I'm so fascinated with, they become less plastic. Right. Because it's their job to make sure those connections are made. So the nerve cell has to find this connection and then make it, and it does it because glial cells help them. Right. So the glial cells get less plastic and less helpful. The other thing which has to happen when that new connection is made is it has to have insulation. Otherwise, it's connected, but it's only conducting the electricity very slowly. Right. So we need new myelin, new insulation. Yeah. 
as I mentioned earlier, that declines with age. The cells which make new myelin get less good at it as we get older. Yeah. And this is all about losing this insulation. And essentially what it means is the electrical signals are not being transmitted properly right. in your brain. So once you get past uh, around about age of 50 or 55, 60, this repair becomes less. Right. Yeah. Uh, and in recent studies, we've uh, discovered, uh, we and others uh, have discovered that there are certain drugs which are available on the market which can, which can stimulate these aging repair cells to think they're young again. Not many people have considered the possibility that glia might actually be very important and yeah. also drug targets. So where does Arthur see the most potential for further research in Alzheimer's and dementia, for example? One of his funding sources is the BBRSC, or the Biotechnology and Biological Science Research Council. The MRC, or Medical Research Council, then makes decisions based on these findings. So what the BBSRC fund me for is to look at why does this these cells which make the myelin, why do they become less capable as they get older? Gotcha. So it's very fundamental. Yes. So if you found something very exciting in the basic research, we could say, well, we think now we're on the verge of finding something which might uh, we might be able to take a, a pill which is going to help us in aging or in Alzheimer's and dementia or in multiple sclerosis. And the MRC might say, okay, we'll, we'll fund that. Yeah. And we'll give you some money to prove that you can improve yeah. aging and that this is relevant to uh, some kind of pathology. Yes. Uh, I usually relate it to MS because um, I've been working on it for so long, it, I'm, I'm recognized as yeah. knowing what I'm talking yeah. about. But it's also relevant to dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So if you think of normal aging cognitive decline, it's yeah. a natural process. In dementia, it's an accelerated process. Yeah. It's, uh, so, you know, from possibly from the age of 50, 55, it gets worse and worse. Yeah. And the pathology of that is mainly neurons. But again, the glial cells are massively altered yes. in it. And, and no, hardly anybody gets any money to research into glial cells in Alzheimer's, unfortunately. But the glial cells are altered and they would be a potential therapeutic target. That makes sense. But a discovery like this raises many more questions for a researcher to investigate. John asked Arthur where else his glia investigations had taken him and what real-life impact it suggested. So the cells have got things called ion channels. It turns out these channels are really important in just about everything that the cell does. Uh, and we work on a particular kind of channel which is specific to glial cells. So we have been involved in explaining how these channels allow glia to keep that constant environment I was talking about. Yeah. So what they do is keep potassium in the brain yeah. at a very constant level. And if potassium in the brain fluctuates, your nervous activity fluctuates. And we can't allow that to happen. And it doesn't normally happen. It only happens in uh, diseases such as epilepsy. Right. where we get this asynchronous activity all over the yeah. shop. And that's, a, that's the symptom of... And that causes the seizure, this asynchronized activity. Yeah. That doesn't normally happen because the, uh, the astrocytes are keeping this potassium. But when they lose this particular channel or it stops working, we can get what's called a, a focal epilepsy. So we get a wave of 
seizures yeah. uh, coming from this point where the astrocytes don't work anymore. So the work that I did, fundamental work, describes how those cells actually regulate right. that. And of course, we know how what happens when it goes wrong. So somehow we have to figure out a way of stopping it from going wrong. Arthur also explained the role glia play in paralysis after spinal injury. He teamed up with spinal injury experts at King's College London to bring the two worlds together. When you uh, damage the CNS, the brain, a spinal cord, a scar forms. Yeah. And that scar is formed by astrocytes, the star cells. They make this scar. The scar's function is to protect the rest of the tissue. Right. Yeah, because otherwise what you get is if, if with the damage, you get this area which is damaged, yeah. it releases toxins and that kills the cells next to it. Right. They die, release more toxin and it just spreads. Yeah. So what, they, what the glia do is come in and they form this wall, a barrier, to stop that from spreading. So it's protective. But yes. The problem is that it also stops axons, these wires, from yes. regenerating. So the research that we're involved in there is how can we control this scar? So, so we thought, well, instead of looking at all these individual little avenues, yeah, networks, we thought, well, let's hit this one, see yeah. what happens. Uh, and one of the key inhibitors of, of this is lithium. Now, lithium, you might know, because it's the frontline treatment for bipolar disorder. Yes. Yeah. So we thought, oh, we'll try with that. It's lithium, it's off the shelf. Yeah. Everybody knows how it works. Let's let's try it. It had an, an absolutely profound effect on the glia. And, th and then when we delved deeper into it, we discovered that... It was, so basically, neuropsychiatric diseases such as bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, and depression, etc. So this, this is an imbalance in the brain. And in the course of exploring the role of glia in one thing, Arthur and the team suddenly discovered a connection between astrocytes, one of the types of glia, and a possible host of psychiatric conditions. Because all of a sudden we made this discovery with lithium, I was like, yeah. This is relevant, actually relevant in neuropsychiatric diseases. It's relevant to that spinal injury, which is why we got into it in the first place, but it's highly relevant to neuropsychiatric diseases because one of the reasons we propose that lithium works yeah. is because it controls astrocytes. And nobody had ever thought about that. And then we came up with some drugs which mimic the effect. We've come out the way, we've come discovered the way Discovered is a big word, but in this case, I think we we really did. Yeah. Before this, nobody had ever uh, thought about it. We've discovered another enzyme in astrocytes which had never been identified before, and this controls how astrocytes respond and how they grow, and we've just published that. An incredible breadcrumb trail of discoveries, all through Arthur's curiosity towards one group of cells. It makes you wonder what mysteries of our own bodies we're yet to discover and how science, with the right funding, can make huge leaps in our collective knowledge and understanding. Arthur's discoveries could have implications for so many people living with little understood diseases, as well as some of the biggest. You can find out more about Arthur and his glial research group at port.ac.uk slash research. Next time on Life Solved from the University of Portsmouth, the humble sea creature that could save our coastlines, waters and marine environments. One oyster can filter 200 litres of seawater a day. The impact they can have on water quality is phenomenal if they're in the higher enough numbers. Tell us what you think via social media.
and share this podcast using the hashtag LifeSolved. Or maybe just share the big idea with a friend. If you subscribe in your podcast app, you'll also get each episode of LifeSolved automatically. See you then.